thank you all for joining us today. I'm Dr. Alan Miller from Thorne, and my guest today is Dr. Teodoro Bottiglieri, and I'm probably wrecking the pronunciation on that, but Dr. Bottiglieri is the program director uh, for the Center of Metabolomics uh, Institute of Metabolic Disease at Baylor Research Institute and uh, the adjunct professor of biomedical studies at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He has a PhD in biochemistry and neurochemistry from University of London and is the as the program director at the Center of Metabolomics. He oversees both clinical diagnostic and research activities and his research spans over the last 30 years and is focused on inherited and inborn errors of metabolism, folate, homocysteine, 1-carbon metabolism, and methylation in diverse areas, including vascular disease, renal insufficiency, cancer, and neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, he has a specific interest in understanding the effect of altered metabolism induced by dietary, drug, or genetic defects on the central nervous system and effects on processing of toxic brain proteins. Uh, he has authored over 190 peer review papers and numerous books and book chapters. Um, my first experience with you, Doc, is referencing you in uh, my first paper that I wrote 23 years ago. So uh, it is a pleasure for me to finally be able to meet you and, and talk with you. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alan, and I uh, appreciate that introduction. Um, it's uh, always nice to be talking about something that I've been uh, studying for many years, and uh, I'll be uh, happy to participate in this uh, podcast and uh, answer as many questions as you can ask me. Thank you. That's, that's great. Um, I was saying that the paper that I wrote 23 years ago and quoted you in that um, was a paper about homocysteine and methylation. So uh, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about uh, speaking with you about this. Starting off, for our audience, can you explain the biochemical importance of one carbon metabolism, uh, basically starting with what it is and then secondly, why it's important? Okay. Um, that is always a Great question, and it's always a difficult question to answer in a way that I can get a message across without too much misunderstanding. So one carbon metabolism is the transfer of a carbon unit, which is actually in a methyl group, which uh, is composed of a carbon and three hydrogens. It's a very simple part of a molecule, but it has a very potent and important impact in cell metabolism. So to um, try and explain this very simply, uh, there is a compound which is called S-adenosylmethionine, which carries that carbon and free hydrogen group, which is a methyl group. And that methyl group can be transferred to a variety of other molecules, both large molecular weights, such as DNA and proteins and lipids, and small molecular weight compounds, such as neurotransmitters and amino acids. Now, this transfer of that methyl group through that one carbon is highly important for regulation of metabolism, and it plays a critical role in defining and actually activating or deactivating pathways in actually promoting how uh, enzymes function, how the membranes in the lipids are held together, and how genes are turned on and off. 
So just saying those few and giving those few examples, you can appreciate, I'm sure, and I know you do, how how important this transfer of methyl groups or methylation is to to not only on the single cell level, but for the entire organism in the whole body. If we look at the the, the methylation cycle, if you will, a significant portion of the U.S. population, some research says up to 60%, uh, have a single nucleotide polymorphism regarding the MTHFR enzyme that's involved in that final biochemical step that takes us to the active folate that our bodies can use. Uh, from your research, do you see a correlation between these common SNPs and specific health conditions? The short answer to that is absolutely yes, there are associations with those SNPs and or that particular SNP that you described and uh, various disorders, conditions, and, and, and how uh, the body functions. So um, the interesting thing about this pathway and why we've been studying it for so many years and it's become a real center of attention on, on for many people uh, is that this pathway of methylation, uh, which actually starts way back from, uh, it's, it's actually is, is initiated through the activation of methylfolate or the conversion of methylfolate to methionine and then to S-adenosylmethionine, and then it gets completed uh, a cycle through to homocysteine. But that's all regulated by enzymes. And one critical enzyme in there is the one that you described, which is the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme. And uh, there is, as you mentioned, this polymorphism or a single nucleotide polymorphism, they call them SNPs, which uh, one in particular that occurs on the position at 677, and it results in a transition from a cytosine to a thymidine. And that CT transition, if you are TT genotype, so if you're a homozygote, you have about a 70% reduction in activity of the enzyme. And this has a large impact on the methylation cycle. Uh, it can actually slow it down and it can impair methylation. Now, um, the I think your specific question was that there is research showing that up to 60% of people have a SNP in the MTHFR gene. Well, what we know is that there is a large ethnic distribution in that SNP. So that African-Americans actually have 0% uh, in terms of being homozygote for that mutation, or it's very low, it's almost 1% to 2%. However, in Hispanics and Mediterranean populations, it can be as high as uh, 20 to 24%, but that is for the homozygote form. Now, if you take in the heterozygote forms, that's the CT plus the TT genotypes, you go much higher in terms of percent of, uh, which can reach up to 60% of a population. Um, so I tend to focus more on the TT genotypes because those are the most severely affected and they still affect quite a number, a high percentage of the population. As I mentioned, 20 to 24% of the Hispanic population and Mediterranean populations are affected. Um, but there is a big ethnic distribution in, you know, how, you know, whether that polymorphism is carried on from one generation to the other. 
The nice thing about this, and we know from the work and studies in the literature, is that this polymorphism can be overcome. You can overcome the effects of having this polymorphism by taking folate supplements. So if you increase your intake of uh, either through folic acid or methylfolate, and we can get down, we can get into the, you know, which one is the best or how, how best to take your supplements. That can override some of the adverse effects that come from having or being TT genotype for this SNP. So what you're really describing here is being able to uh, enhance the activity, even if the activity is poor, still being able to enhance the activity of uh, that enzyme that genetically is not working as well as it should. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly how it is. Now, there are other factors. You know, as I said, you know, you, you, this pathway is very susceptible to being affected by both dietary and genetic and drug-induced uh, effects. So you have this combination of of all f of these three major uh, situations where you can, you know, if you have a poor diet and you have bad genetics, or I don't like to use bad genetics, or you just have uh, this polymorphism, and and maybe others as well. There are several other polymorphisms that can come into play uh, in 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 this story. So um, and and also the effects of various drugs that can also impact this cycle. You know, these can individually they have their own impact, but they can compound the adverse effects of being a hypomethylated, a reduced activity of this methylation cycle. So we're really talking epigenetics here. You've got a specific um, set of genetics, however, right? You can yes. you can overcome that somewhat. Unfortunately, you cannot really change your genetics. Now you can change your diet. And you can alter medications uh, in most cases. I mean, sometimes you have to be on a medication, but usually that's, uh, that may affect uh, folate metabolism. And um, one in particular, a drug in particular, is uh, methotrexate, which is an anti-cancer drug, but it's also used in low doses to treat uh, arthritis. And there are many others. There are anticonvulsants, which can also uh, affect folate metabolism and affect this enzyme as well. So, you know, it, it gets very specific as to, you know, how you can handle the adverse effects of these interactions on the cycle. And really what we're talking about here, when we're talking about folate, we're really talking about the ability to get to SAMI, since SAMI is the, uh, uh, the, the molecule that gives off that methyl group to so many other processes. Uh, if we can't get there because we've got a genetic SNP or dietary uh, problems, um, not just with folate, like you said, there are other enzymes and other genetics involved in this whole process. Yes, exactly. The, the methyl group actually originates from methylfolate, which is the active form of folate. Now, there are many different forms of folate as we assimilate uh, folate in our diet. Uh, it starts with dihydrofolate, which uh, is the form that you you ingest from eating many uh, green leafy vegetables is your biggest source of, of folate. Um, and it's converted finally to the methylfolate form. And that methylfolate is, is, the, uh, is the actual, is, is where is the methyl group originates from. It's transferred to methionine and then methionine is converted to SAMe or S-adenosylmethionine. 
which is then the the donor to all the other uh, macro and micro uh, molecules in 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 the in the cells. The other thing I want to emphasize is that the importance of methylation um, in terms of you know what does this mean in in, in terms of uh, a patient or a subject's health. Um, we know that methylation is important in vascular disease, in cancer, in liver disease, in renal disease, in depression, uh, and other neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. So uh, this has been extensively studied. All these areas have been extensively studied in terms of understanding what is the role of SAMI and methylation in these various disorders. Um, I can say, you know, the, in, in, a, in a quick summary, that to be in a hypomethylated state is is going to result in more health complications. It's going to res- arise in increased risk for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, it, it is actually adversely affects liver function and and can provoke vascular damage. So the objective here is to maintain healthy metabolism and a, and a healthy state, we need to be in a good hi- hypermethylated state rather than a hypomethylated state. Well, your research team has been involved in a number of studies on the effects of methylation nutrient cofactors in neuropsychiatric disease, and you just mentioned a, a few of them there. You've published on depression, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's. Uh, can you tell us the biochemical rationale uh, and the outcome of your research, say, on depression? Yeah, I mean, the, the literature in depression goes back over several decades. Um, in fact, it was first noted in the mid-70s that given methionine to patients with schizophrenia actually exacerbated and made worse their symptoms. And that was probably because it was increasing neurotransmitter metabolism. And so they kind of stayed away from administering SAMI or even the precursor of SAMI, methionine, to patients who had schizophrenia for that reason. But then they noted that it had more of an effect in treating depression. So as the SAMI molecule was uh, developed and put into various forms that could be used as a supplement and as a pharmaceutical, studies that came out showed that SAMI actually was as good as some other tricyclic antidepressants that it was compared to and you know, equal, if not very, obviously to placebo. Um, and that's been a consistent finding in many studies over the last few decades. Now, there has been quite a bit of research in trying to understand how SAMI does this, how does it achieve this type of effect. And we do know from, from studies that we've published as well as others that it tends to increase the activity or the levels of serotonin and dopamine in the brain. Now, we also understand that it does not do this by the traditional mechanisms that other tricyclic antidepressants, either the first generation tricyclic antidepressants or second generation reuptake inhibitors work, but it has a different mechanism, which we're not completely sure how it how it does affect, you know, where where we can pinpoint the exact uh, mechanism of action. There seems to be some positive effects on cell signaling in enhancing the release of these neurotransmitters at the nerve terminals, and that can help in boosting 
the function of the neuronal cells and and keep them firing. So um, although we know that they're acting on neurotransmitter systems, we we still um, are kind of really trying to understand exactly where the uh, molecule or the, the metabolite may be actually acting. And and one of the reasons why I think is is why we you know struggling to to kind of define the mechanism is because it has so many far-reaching effects. It can be affecting various proteins and enzymes, and it may also affect the lipid structures of the cell membrane, making them more receptive to actions of uh, neurotransmitters on particular receptors in the neuron. So um, we we do have a good understanding, you know, where it is, but you know how it's working and how it should be used. But um, again, you know, we 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 are still working on some of the details there. Some of that early research also showed that um, depressed patients tend to have lower uh, folate levels, blood folate levels. And then there, there's other research on folate and its effect on uh, levels of tetrahydrobiopterin, which works in both those, both the catecholamine pathway and the serotonin pathway. Uh, is there a possibility that SAMe also is having an effect within both of those systems by having an effect on tetrahydrobiopterin or some other cofactor along the way? Yes, that's, that's a great question uh, and one that I've been asked uh, several times. So it's, it's kind of interesting because you know, in depression, you're never quite sure what really comes comes first, although we, we are clear on the actions of folate and what folate can do in the brain, um, and especially when you're in a deficient state. We know that if you become folate deficient, this tends to lead to an increase in depression and uh, also impairs any response to anti antidepressant drugs. So uh, if you're in a negative folate balance, you're more uh, predisposed to, to going on to having a relapse in and, and having another depressive episode and, and also not, not being able to respond to the tr traditional antidepressant medications. Now, folate itself can act in a salvage pathway to boost the levels, as you said correctly, of tetrahydrobiopterin which is a cofactor for both dopaminergic and serotonergic uh, production. So uh, this is another mechanism how we believe um, folate may work in terms of uh, boosting uh, and helping to uh, overcome depression. So it's, it's actually a fascinating story. Thank you for listening to part one of my discussion with Dr. Teodoro Batiglieri. Make sure you listen to part two as well, where we continue our conversation about SAMe, homocysteine, cardiovascular research, stroke, Alzheimer's, migraines, miscarriage, and more. Thanks for listening.